always been filled with very tall people, and I'm not one of them. But we're thankful for you being here, and God bless you. And this is my home church in, in the best sense of it. I came here after, actually almost after high school, met Don Lyon, and have never really left in my heart. This is my home church. And I'm with Kings, and I love Lou, and we do all kinds of things together. But Don Lyon said to me one day, you... We're going to, you and you and you and you and you are going down to the Ravina area to start a church. I said, Pastor, I've never started a church. He said, you, you'll get it. And of course, with Don Lyon, you didn't say no to him. So I just said, okay, I'm going to do this. And, and that has a wonderful church. And Pastor Lou is awesome. But this is where it all started with Pastor uh, Lyon and the rest you know. You know the good and the bad and the ugly about me. So, uh, But today we're going to be... I think we have even a PowerPoint, but I'm not even going to worry about that. She's already got my script and where the change, if it gets changed and so forth. She's going to do that. We're going to travel with Jesus today on a rescue mission. Uh, that's what my life story has been, a rescue mission. I, last week I was in Beekman, New York, and I was down at the Beekman Baptist Church in Hopewell Junction, the end of the Taconic, and I had that fellow that was on the screen. We call him country, but he's a good old boy from South Carolina. He's caught grouper bigger than him. He was a grouper fisherman where you get on with tanks on, you spear the groupers and bring them back. He was a fisherman, but he was a mess. His wife said to him, get out, leave me. I don't want to see you again until your life is different. And he's been with us for a good going on a year now, and God has grabbed him. And now he's studying, uh, going to be studying at, is studying, but will be studying more at Liberty Institute for Christian counseling. He wants to be a Christian counselor to people like himself. And his wife was on, I, he was in the truck, so he was uh, down at Beekman, and his wife came on. He called her and put her on the speakerphone. She says, hi, honey, and it was a whole different demeanor, and she said, I'm coming up to visit, but I'm gonna, I'm so thankful God has worked in your life because, you know, they can get back together again soon uh, because God had changed that. And I heard her voice on that, on that phone, and I said, Jesus, Boy, if you don't, you're always on a rescue mission. <laughs> you're always rescuing the perishing. You're caring for the dying. And you're coming around people who are throwaways and you love them. And it's not easy. And that's where we are today. I, I would actually have called it traveling with Jesus on a double rescue mission. <laughs> but you'll catch on with that. Father, bless our time in the word. Help us to get the heart of your son. The son that you sent to seek and to save that which was lost. We give you our heart today, Lord. Use this church, use every one of our lives to be on a rescue mission for Christ, to the broken, to the needy, to the disenfranchised, to the marginalized, to people who are just need a touch of the master's hand. Bless us in Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, the compassionate one, he's the Lord of all creation. We see him in the passages we're going to be today. We see him rescuing, taking people from not only physical bondage and problems, but also from their spiritual darkness. And he's the compassionate Jesus. People, a lot of people know him as that. He's got a lot of different faces in the scripture, but he's the compassionate Lord of all creation. And he's out and about. He's, he, he's healed Peter's mother-in-law, the paralyzed man, 
the man with the withered hand, the servant of the centurion, and that's just in the, the area of Capernaum in Galilee. He has been on a rescue mission for a long time in that area. Two things about Jesus that I love. He had compassion to heal. Compassion means I, I have an empathy. I have a, a path, I have a passion for you because you're broken and needy. Christ had compassion. He saw the multitudes without a shepherd. He said, no, I can't have them. They got to have somebody lead them. But we all can have compassion. But he also then had power to heal. He had the compassion, but he had the power. Isn't it great coming to a Savior that loves you and has compassion, but also has the power to act? Uh, he has the dunamis and he has the exousia. So those are two Greek words, dunamis, power, energy, dynamite comes from it. Dunamis, he had that power. In fact, in the passage today, it's so vivid that he had that power that it actually comes out of him. And then he also had exousia. Authority. I'm in charge. I'm sovereign. Aren't you glad you come to the sovereign one who said, All authority has been given unto me under heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples, teaching and baptizing and bringing them forward. So I say, Lord Jesus, you've got dynamite and you've got authority. Two different kinds of power. And that's why we can be on a traveling with him on a rescue mission. He had compassion. I remember growing up in a Greek household. My mother was full-blooded full Greek. Her name was Sotira Nikolopoulos, and she attended this church some. One thing I remember about mom, she was a philopticus. Philo meaning affection and love, brotherly love, and then opticus being the poor. She loved the poor. And there were two men, especially quickly, Eggman and the garbage man. And in those days, the Eggman just came. He was from the hilltops of Gedney Hill, and he, they, they just had an old egg farm. He didn't have anything. He had old 38 Plymouth with the streets all ripped out of it, and they put all of his eggs there, and they went and peddled them, and the little bit he got, he could survive on. And he, he was marginalized because he stuttered. He stuttered very badly. And whenever he came, we... My mom would run out, and she'd bring him in, and she'd say, you're going to have lunch with us. And he said, Mrs. Jones, it's okay, I'm all right. Because he knew what it meant to be on the margins. You gave the eggs, you got out of the way, and you didn't say much, and people knew that you were marginalized. But she wouldn't. She'd put him at the table, she'd feed him, and he'd say, no, no, Mrs. Jones. No. She said, no, you're going to eat. And so we would hang around, and for a little kid, we'd be climbing up his, his, his pant legs and, and, and the egg man. Later on, I had the opportunity to talk and lead him to the Lord before he died. And I was a seminary Bible college kid and he was the egg man. And then there's this little fella, he came and he was, I called him the garbage man, but he was on a truck and he was an orphan guy, young strap, he was a teenager and he went around with a truck and they would come and get the burning barrels because in those days you had burning barrels. <laughs> and you'd burn them down to ashes and he'd take them and put them in the truck. And then he did that, he had muscles. He still, I, I know him today. And I talked to him about Jesus today. But he was the garbage man. Every time he came, garbage, everything. Talk about Corona. He'd say, you come on in here, Richie. I got a lunch for you. 
Oh, no, Mr. Jones, please, I'm all dirty, man. I said, Mrs. Jones, it's okay. And he had been taken in by the garbage people who owned the landfill, kind of, in those days. And he was a throwaway. But my, my mother made him feel like he was the king of our table. He was the garbage man. And I grew up with a philopticus mother. And somebody said, well, how'd you ever get into this? I said, I got into it because my mother made me. She kept, she kept putting all these marginalized people around me. The stutterer and the throwaway orphan that was just had the garbage route, and both of those men had the opportunity to hear the gospel strong because of what I talked to them about. But needless to say, Jesus, you're going to do some miracles today. He's going to share his compassion with those miracles. He's going to show his credential as the Messiah because the Messiah comes, he's going to heal and heal and heal, Isaiah tells us. And he's going to speak forth the gospel through those acts of miraculous work. So he's going he's to share his compassion, he's going to show his credential, and he's going to speak forth the gospel. Because people heard him because they came to him for help, and they got more than they ever bargained for because many of them were touched spiritually, and that's why I love the mission, because we can do that. We can offer food, clothing, and shelter all day long, but every night and in every way in counseling, people hear the good news that Jesus loves you enough to save your soul, and he wants you to be his child. Oh, Savior, thank you. Well, we come to our first point. It's in the passage, and, and it's going to be Luke 8, and I'm going to start with verse 40. Luke 8, 40 says, And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler. Oh, got ahead of myself. 40, that's 41. I kind of was doing this. So it was that when Jesus returned, that the multitude welcomed him, and they were all waiting for him. Just real quick, he's been over at Gadara. He's been to the greatest homeless situation that there was, the maniac of Gadara, the biggest homeless guy in all of Scripture, living in caves, cutting himself, screaming and yelling, beating people up. Nobody would go by there. He was, he, he, he could, you could write homeless, a homeless wreck on him. And Jesus went over and set him, <laughs> he, was, he was naked too. Jesus went over there, cast the demons into the swine, and he's, the town is so upset because they come outside and they say, what are you doing? You, you upset everything. And he finds the man in his own right mind talking theological stuff with Jesus. <laughs> he didn't have a three-piece suit on, but he, had, he, was, he was there. I said, Jesus, if you don't beat all, <laughs> you can come and take and re reconstruct and transform a life. And he's just coming from that. The disciples haven't got over that yet because they went across the sea all this wind and wave, and they went over and they, they met this guy, they're kind of hiding behind Jesus because there's a sign up that said, this maniac will probably kill you, stay away from him. You know, they, they, they told everybody stay away, and Jesus went right up to him, cast out the demons, and now they're coming back. And he gets off the boat right around Capernaum, and the mob comes on him. They've been waiting for him. I don't know if they had radar or cell phones or whatever they had, but they knew he was coming, and they, they mobbed Christ. Oh, Lord Jesus. Who would not be attracted when you're that broken to Jesus? So we have a determined crowd. So it was when Jesus returned that they welcomed him. They were all waiting for him. It's the days of his great Galilean ministry. Some, some said that he almost 
ended any disease in the whole area of Galilee because he went from town to town to town to town and healed and blessed and loved and brought people to Christ. These were those days. Oh, Lord Jesus. Got a determined crowd. They're after you. And unlike the Pharisees and unlike the other religious establishment people of the day who hid from those people, disdained those people, hated those people, looked down on those people, would never have been caught dead ministering to them. Jesus Christ flocked to them. He was there. They flocked around him because that's the way it was supposed to be. That's the way of the Church of Jesus Christ. Thank you for being a supporter of the City Mission for so many years and many other ministries. Well, the desperate father shows up. Now, that's a double, double miracle, but uh, came a man named Jairus, and he was the ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. Well, he, two points about this. He had an elite status, just about as high as you go in the area. He was the president of the synagogue in, in Capernaum. He was the leader. He was the guy that, the pastor, the leader, anything that happened there. And because of that, he was esteemed in that area. I've been to that synagogue. If you've been to Israel, you've probably been to that synagogue, the ruins of it. And you look at that beautiful seaside city and you think, wow, Jesus was here. Well, this man was elite. He hung around the Pharisees and the scribal Pharisees. And they hated Jesus because he was starting to be a threat to them. So they hated Jesus, and this man was one of them. But he's got a problem. He's got a 12-year-old little girl who's on her deathbed, and she's dying. Don't know what fever she had, something. It was sapping her life. And I don't know about you, but she's got a little daughter. You know, got a little daughter. We all have grandkids or kids in that realm somewhere. And to think that one of them's lying on a bed dying, it'd tear your heart out of you. Change this man's composure from, we don't deal with you, Jesus, to I'm on my knees, I'm on my... Just remember that. Don't ever give up on people because you have said, well, they just won't. No sense going to them. I know they don't want him. Don't, don't second guess and kill yourself before you get out there with the gospel. Elite status, he's on his knees, he's trusted in the Jewish faith, and that has not helped him because of the way it had denigrated. He's the upper class, and now he needs Jesus. And nobody else can do what Jesus can do. And he's watched it from a distance. He's watched Jesus all over Capernaum doing miracles. He has not only elite status now, he's on his face before Jesus Christ, he's at his He's on his knees. He's got this problem, and he, this emergency situation, dying before his very eyes. He lays aside of all the animosity to Christ, and now he needs him. Compassion. Lord Jesus, other, other of the passages say Jesus went with him. Jesus was available. So he said, okay. Got to go to your house. She's laying in your bed. We don't know what part of Capernaum and that whole area it was, whether it was a mile away or what, what it is. It was somewhat near. And they start on their way. And the throng is all over him. But then there's a divine interruption. 
as he went, the multitude strong to him. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years had spent all of her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any. Little girl, she's 12 years old. For 12 years, it's been running around the house. Daddy, daddy, or as in the Hebrew language, Abba, 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 Abba. And he had all, and, 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 and grandpa, in the Greek language, Yaya, my Yaya. You know, that's the old matriarchal Greek with the big rings on her hand, you know. <laughs> yaya, 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 Abba, 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 for 12 years. He had this beautiful relationship with this little girl, and now she's in big trouble. But for those last 12 years, there's been a woman in that area that was, was in terrible suffering for 12 years straight. And she was a mess. And she's coming up to Jesus. <laughs> she's coming upon him. And there's going to be an interruption. And Jesus loved interruptions. And God, guess what? He's going to interrupt your life somewhere, somehow. You're going to say, Lord, I meant for this, and you did this. Lord, I was waiting for this, and my car broke down, and this happened. Interruptions happen all the time. And if you're an impatient person, you start to say, ah, what's going on? I hate this. I can be, I can do that. I was climbing a mountain this past week. We climbed two mountains. I thought I was with Don Teeter. Don Teeter used to take me up to the Catskills. This week we did a 12-hour hike. I'm, I'm working on the hundreds. I did the 35 high peaks of the Catskills last, so I could do it before I was 65 and get my 35 badge. Now I'm working on the 65 low peaks, but they don't seem to be any less hard. <laughs> I kept falling. I'm thinking, on this mountain. <sighs> Interrupted by 10 falls on my face in the ice on a bushwhack mountain called Platkill. <laughs> you don't need to know all about that. It was an interruption at times. But she's, she's got a sad state. She's chronically sick, hemorrhaging. These hemorrhages from her uterus wouldn't stop. Suffering, weak, weakened by the blood flow that kept leaving her. And any refreshment that she could have had to her body by fresh blood was going out. We don't know totally all about it, but she's uncomfortable and unclean and constantly shunned. She's chronically sick and she's constantly shunned. If a woman has a discharge of blood, the Bible says, and it's not her regular discharge of blood, it says she will be unclean. I mean, she could not go to touch people and be around people. Talk about coronavirus. <laughs> she was a untouchable. People would say, hey, stop. You're not going to make me unclean. You Don't touch me. You stay right over there. We know who you are. We know what your reputation is. For 12 years, you've had this. Stay away from me. She knew what it was to be marginalized. And whenever you come into a group, the spotlight was on you to see how far away you'd stay from them. And I'm thinking, Lord, do you know who she is? Well, she was cordoned off spiritually, too. She wasn't allowed in that synagogue where this man is on his knees begging for his child's life. She could not go in that synagogue. She could not go in the caravans going down to Passover feast at the temple or the Feast of the Tabernacles. She was cordoned off spiritually. She couldn't listen to the Holy Word of God being spoken because that's what they did in synagogues. Jesus read 
probably many times from that synagogue, the word of God. Couldn't. Chronically sick, constantly shunned, cordoned off, and cash struck. Now you tell me how many more things could go wrong in your life but that. Cash struck is if she took all of her money and gave it to doctors to try to get well, to try to stop this bleeding, this hemorrhaging, this terrible fatigue that I almost feel like I'm dead. And there were weird things physicians did down there. Uh, Luke, who's a doctor, went a little easier on the doctors in this passage. Uh, you, you know, professional courtesy, maybe, I don't know. But, uh, Mark and Matthew are a little harder. They said, you know, these shyster physicians had these things. One was you take an ostrich egg and you bake it down and you make it into powder and you put it into a bag around, a, a textile bag around your neck and you just wear that around and that will cure you. One was you drink this mixture of rubber and alum and crocus plants and you put it in a mixture and you drink it. Another was you had some other kind of concoctions that you drank and it went on and on and on. Nothing helped. She didn't have any money. She was as poor. So you're poor and you have nothing but disease to pass around. They didn't know what the uncleanness was. Lepers had things like that. So she was in trouble. Lord Jesus. You gravitate to these folks. She's coming right at you. You don't even know it. But she came from behind and touched the border of his garment. So she's looking and the crowds are like, they're pressing in on Jesus. I mean, it's a mob. It's, it's a subway in New York at five o'clock. And, and, you know, he's walking down and they're all wanting a piece of him. And she's just watching. The cordoned off one is watching. She's thinking, I think if I just touch the hem of his garment, well, he goes by. He's the son of God. He can do that. I'm going to do this. And so the tassels were on the four corners of the outer toga usually, and they were blue. They had white and blue, and they were blue. you see them today with the orthodox. And so she's waiting her turn. I only got one shot at this. <laughs> and she goes down and grabs it. And in the Greek language, it's in the middle voice, which means there's something more intense for me I think she grabbed it and held it for a moment. <laughs> he might have even heard the jerk. I don't know. But she's got it. She said, I'm going to get well. I'm going to, I'm not going to, I know nobody wants me around, but I'm going to sneak in and sneak out. I won't say anything. You don't need to talk about it. And she said, she did it. She said, something's different. Something just happened to me. I've got, I've got my strength back. My blood flow has been put together. All of the misery, I am back together. Can you imagine what that would feel like after 12 years of being cordoned off, of feeling like you were dead already because your body has lost all of its blood nutrients and Jesus Christ heals you. The compassionate one heals you with his authority and his dynamite, the power of Christ. Somebody says, who are you going to serve? I'll say, Jesus, you're going to serve the government. I'll, I'll obey the government. But the mission doesn't take any government money because we know we have somebody much more powerful to help us than just government money. Oh, isn't that great? <laughs> She's just had a miracle on her life. Jesus still doing it. He's still doing powerful things in the life of people. Spectacular salvation has happened. She had faith in Jesus Christ. If I only touch 
his garment, I shall be made well. That's what Matthew says in his ninth chapter. Completely healed, publicly. But now Jesus is going to do something a little different. Her concept is, I'm going to just grab, pull, and run. <laughs> I mean, I know my place in this society. You shut your mouth, you sit over there, you're lucky we don't kill you. You know, you're cordoned off from us. We don't want you to touch any of us. You just remain in your seclusion. And even with this virus, you know, our Savior is still the dunamis. He's still the power, the thing that's out there. They say, what are you going to do with the mission? Well, we don't have an active case. I don't know if we're going to have one, but I'm going to love people. And they're coming first, and we're going to do what we can. We're going to be careful. We're going to be wise. But we have a Savior who is the powerhouse. So this daughter of his now, Jesus said, who touched me? Of course, Peter said, Master, multitudes are thronging around your impression. You said, who touched me? Well, excuse me, Peter. He meant something that, Peter was always sometimes on a different, like, you ever get on a little different wavelength than Jesus or God is? God says, well, excuse me, come back, I got something to teach you. Oh, no, no, I got this all. No, 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 sit down, I got to tell. Who touched me didn't mean that people aren't bumping and, you know, uh, rubbing against me. I know that, Peter, excuse me, I'm not stupid. But the fact of the matter is something happened. It's the touch of faith. There's two different touches going on here. People, Jesus, Jesus, they're touching him. But then there's the touch of faith, and she had the touch of faith. And Jesus knew it. And he's the sovereign God of the ages. He knows when you come by faith and when you just come to touch out of curiosity. She came to touch the master, and she touched him. And Jesus is saying, who did it? Who is, who is this faithful faith toucher? <laughs> Peter, it's the touch of faith I'm talking about. He said, somebody touch me, for I perceive power going out of me. He said, power is going out. Well, what does that mean? It means when God works and gives you whatever, if he saves you, if he heals you, if he blesses you, if he touches you for joy, power goes from him to you. We have a God of power. And when it goes from him, he knows it. Think of the Lord. I'm so glad you have power because so many times I am powerless. When we were weak and powerless, the scripture says Christ Jesus saved us. This woman was powerless. And now she's touched him by faith. And he says, faith power went out of me to this woman. And praise the Lord for that. Well, now she's on the spot. <laughs> The lady that's always for 12 years been hidden and invisible now stands before Jesus Christ, the King of glory. <sighs> Quite a graduation. <laughs> she came trembling and falling down before him, just like Jairus was. But he had a 12-year-old little girl that was 12 years blessing. She's had a 12-year curse, and now... She's there, and she's in front of him on the feet. So now she declared to him, and everybody heard it, in the presence of all the people, the reason she had touched him and how she had been healed immediately. She had a testimony. Because the Bible says that we shall believe in our hearts 
that he is able to save us, but we will confess with our mouths. And there was a time for believing in the heart, and there's a time for confessing. And we got to do both, believer. If you're in this room today and you've not, hell, you've not come to touch the master and say, save my soul, you, you're the only one that can. I encourage you not to leave this room until you say to Jesus, save me. I am a sinner and I can only be forgiven by you. And I can only become a child of God because you make me one by my faith in you. And I will put my faith in you, as little as it is, just like she did. And all the people saw her say, and I think he had another motive for this. I think the motive was, I want you to know that she's healed so you can let her back in, guys. Let her back in the synagogue. Let her back in your parties. Let her back in your homes. I've done it. And a lot of people would have said, hey, she's clean. You gave her a good, clean bill of health, just like a priest would have done. And then he says to her, daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Or as my mother's name was Sotira, this is built off from that. Your faith has sojoed you. It has saved you. Be saved in every way you could be saved. <laughs> Lord Jesus, you are something else. <laughs> On a rescue mission with Jesus Christ. He said, daughter, the only time in the New Testament that Jesus Christ calls anybody daughter. It can be sweet little lady, girl, whatever, but it can be daughter. And he said, you are now a daughter of the kingdom. <laughs> You're in the family. <laughs> I said, Lord Jesus, hallelujah. You remember the day when you came to faith in Christ and he said, you're a child of the Lord for as many as received him to them, gave me the power to become children of God. Thank you, Lord. I'm a son. I'm a daughter in your kingdom. I belong. For 12 years, I've been nothing. My husband wouldn't even touch me or look, and nobody wanted me. Now I am a daughter of the king. I'm thinking, that's what you are. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. we got to get moving here. We're going to be here all day long. <laughs> by the way, you know, the tassel was worn by Jewish men to, to say, I have a commitment to the word of God. That's what that was meant. You go in the Old Testament, that tassel was for that. Jesus was committed to the word of God, and he wore that tassel better than any other tassel wearer there ever was. And she put her faith in what God's word said and what Jesus was saying. Well, we're almost done. The last point is... Interruption's done. Jairus, are, are you impatient right now? Because we were going to run to your house, but then there was an interruption called the woman with the issue of blood. So what are we going to do? <laughs> we're going to keep going to your house. Because there's a little girl that they just came back and they just said she died. Well, Jesus said she's sleeping. A euphemism for death. And he said, let's go. I, I don't know if he had any fingernails left. What would you be doing? Like, Jesus, what are you doing? We got to get to the house. My daughter's dying, and, and you got this woman with the issue of blood. She's not really the top of the pile. Like, I'm, I'm the elite, and she's not the elite. She's the delete. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. We're going. It's just a little God-ordained interruption. He's sovereign, and he does what he wants. So they go to the house, and we aren't going into all that whole thing, but someone came there and said, your daughter's dead. But when Jesus heard it, he said, don't be afraid. She'll be made well. And he put them all outside, 
This is verses 50 to 56. We're going to go on there because it's a double one. We don't have time for that. But her spirit returned. He said, little girl, Talitha Kumi, little girl, arise. And when Jesus says rise, guess what happens? You rise. There's coming a day when the Son of God is going to say, come forth and tombs and graves all over West Hill, New York are going to open up. Well, there's some powerful saints that have gone on to glory, haven't they? Uh, I was thinking this week about my dear friend, Jim Stark. <laughs> Perry, my boy, trust the Lord. Over and over, I was encouraged by him. He, he's coming out of that ground with Peg and every, all the other believers in this church that have gone on. And when he says, rise, we're coming out of that grave and we're going to meet our souls that have already been in glory. But fa fa the fact of the matter is Jesus says, you come forth. And then he said, give her something to eat. And they knew the authority and power of God was upon them. Compassion. He's still doing it. He's not giving up on it. He's going to do it through Westerlo. He's going to do it through the mission. We have a powerful Savior. He is compassionate. He is powerful, and I will serve no one else but him to the day I die. That's my heart. I know that's your heart. Lord Jesus, we traveled with you today on a rescue mission. Whew. I'm glad I laced up my sandals because I'd have been all over the place. <laughs> Jesus, bless this work at Westerlo Baptist. Thank you for their pastor. Bless, bless those at the mission. Keep us from this virus, we pray. Bless our nation with wisdom to help with it. We ask your help, oh, Savior of mankind. Bless our time as we minister to people caught in the margins of life. Jesus, be glorified through us. Use us. In your precious name we pray, amen.